Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Grondon. And, at, uh, you know, this week we're going to be giving out some of our uh, three quarters of the way through the season college football awards, uh, going into just the absolute craziness that was last week in the NFL and uh, looking forward to some of the stuff in the uh, current week, plus your great theory about this current uh, Dallas Mavericks team. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what my current theory of this Dallas Mavericks team was. From yesterday, um, remember that they're not good. Oh yeah, I don't think they're very good. But uh, yeah, we can get into that first, I guess. Once again, this is the episode of Sports Break podcast. Not necessarily hot button debate or anything like that. Just more conversational topic. And uh, yeah, I mean, do you want to jump in real quickly to that? Yes, I, I think because I mean, I feel like this week in general was a lot of you know stuff that I feel like we don't have the right to talk about, like. COVID vaccine stuff with the whole Aaron Rodgers situation and obviously the ongoing situation with the Oakland Raiders just or the Las Vegas Raiders just in general. Uh, but I, you said this in the office yesterday and I am a little bit intrigued by it because, you know, the Mavericks made the playoffs the last two years have looked really good. We're having a trending team to potentially be a contender in the next couple of years, but you have a very interesting theory. Well, yeah, I mean, I even picked them to be a contender in the West this season. But right now, I don't think this is a very good basketball team. Can it become a good basketball team? Possibly. I think it can be pretty good, especially when the West doesn't quite seem as strong as we thought with the Lakers and the Trailblazers kind of struggling this season. But, I mean, the thing is, is so sure, they're 7-3 and three right now, but they have a negative point differential. And you look at the teams they've played, they've beaten the – Raptors, who are okay, but they didn't have Siakam and they're overall, you know, not the same Raptors the last few years. The Rockets are bad. The Spurs they've beaten twice are bad. The Kings are pretty average and they beat them. Actually, yeah, they beat the Spurs twice, sorry. And then they beat the uh, Celtics, who, you know, everyone's saying the sky is falling in Boston. And then they beat the Pelicans, who are probably the worst team in basketball right now. So, yeah, seven wins, but those are your seven wins. You're looking at the lost side of the column. Heat, good team. They lost by 15, and honestly, they were down by 20 most of the game. The Nuggets, another good team. They lost by, uh, my math's not very good. They lost by 31. That's another team that, uh, you know, that's another pretty good team. And then you're looking at, too, the Hawks, which the Hawks haven't even done that well this year. They're not, they are not playing very good basketball. They got crushed by the Hawks, too. This team's playing bad teams and winning and losing to good teams. I fully expect them to kind of get, we're recording this on the 10th. I mean, fully kind of expect them to get blown out by the Bulls today. With the with the iteration of this team right now, I just don't see them making a run in the playoffs. They're probably right back to where they were as a seven or eight seed and probably going to lose in the first round right now. Well, the other interesting thing I think you talked about yesterday was, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, teams would love to have the situation they have with Luka, but you are not a big fan of what Luka presented in the few games you've watched in person. He hasn't played that well this season. Now, I think a lot of it, too, is that so a lot of the numbers with Luka on the court and off the court have been bad. But the problem is, is that he's sharing the court with the likes of Dorian Finney-Smith and Dwight Powell, who aren't starting caliber NBA players. And that's the problem. There's just not enough, like real contributors to this team like i like i like Doncic, i like brunson i like hardaway jr i even you know when he plays and when he's healthy i kind of like porzingis i think he's actually still pretty you know i think he's probably overpaid right now for the value that he adds but at the same time i still think he's a decent basketball player he still moves pretty well defensively he can hit a jump shot he can make some plays so i don't think he's a bad basketball player so you got those four guys, and then you got a bunch of guys who's just like, I don't know, like Bobon plays eight minutes a game with this team. Trey Burke gets run in this team, you know. You can honestly go through those four guys and say their fifth best player has been Frank Nidalekina this season. And I think it's actually been a pretty good run for Frank Nidalekina, but it's not a good situation when he's your fifth best basketball player. Especially with how they've been playing this year, and they need more from guys like Frank Nidalekina. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few. Like, honestly, I would probably start him. I would probably start Nidalekina because I think it balances the roster a little bit because then you could go Doncic, uh, Nidalekina, Hardaway, Porzingis. Uh, I mean, at this point, it is Dwight Powell, but I don't think it's going to be Dwight Powell the whole season at center. 
And then their bench is essentially Hardaway, Brunson, or uh, Brunson and uh, Bullock, who adds instant offense. Bullock plays some pretty good defense. Finney Smith coming off the bench, I think, is a better fit. Maxi Kleber, when he's healthy, adds a good fit off the bench, too. I just think that's a better fitting team. I guess my big question is, is because we've talked a lot, or there's been a lot of talk about Porzingis and where his role on this team is. Is this a team you think that we, if Porzingis is on the roster, will not be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish, regardless of if players get out of slumps or if Luca returns back to dominant Luca? I mean, the problem with Porzingis isn't necessarily that he's, mm. like I said, it's not he's a bad basketball player. He's an overpaid basketball player, and he's not healthy. He's never he's already missed five games this season. And who knows how many games he ends up playing. And the other problem is, is because he's always hurt and because he's not healthy, he, uh, you know, he's not tradable. No one's going to take on that contract in that situation for him to play basically 45, 50 games a season and hope that he pans out with all these injuries stacking up to a 7-3 frame. So I don't think Porzingis playing is the problem. It's that he's never on the court first. And then second is that you can't trade him because he's not playing up to the value of that contract. And I think we're just seeing time and time again, these teams take big swings on guys, whether it's the Lakers this season with Russell Westbrook, whether it's the Celtics taking chances with the Kyrie situation, Gordon Hayward, not working out because of injuries. Um, The Kemba situation, the Kemba situation, not working out in the end too. Um, and, you know, you can go through the list. Ben Simmons not performing in the playoffs despite his big contracts. When these teams go for that title run and then their big contract guys don't perform, that's when it looks bad. And it's not working out for Pazingas because they don't really have the cap space to make huge moves. I actually think they could, like, package together something to get a couple more players. But they're not going to get a star because they can't trade Porzingis in the deal. And I guess the big problem now is, is this a team that needs a star to, like, are they the Raptors from a few years ago where they needed Kawhi and once they added Kawhi, it made them so much better than even if they just added some pieces underneath them, or is this a team that needs just a few supporting cast players to get back to being good? It's probably somewhere in between those. Like, I think they don't need a Kawhi. They need an options two and three. I think that are a little better. Like if, I feel like if like Hardaway was like your fourth option and then Brunson was your sixth man, fifth option, but you had two and third, second and third dependable players, or even just a second dependable player. And Porzingis is like house money. If he's your good third player, I feel like this team's a lot better, but the problem is, is that there's no real second guy you can depend on to make those plays. Like I said, I think there's little moves they can make to make them a little better this season. And maybe like if, if Luca has that Oh seven LeBron kind of rise, that kind of is expected of him. This team can make that kind of run to the finals, especially when, you know, in the West, outside the Warriors and, you know, the Jazz, who are the Jazz in the playoffs, you know, there's kind of an opening in the West. So, like, if if Luka hits that level and they make a couple little moves, I do think this could still be a pretty good team and make a run in the West. I just think this iteration of the team right now is a mess. I think the first thing they need to do is find a, find a legitimate center. That, that's because, my big thing with them is it feels like since really since Lucas started playing well, they've been trying everything to get that. Even if it's not a center specifically, if it's a, a dominant post player or a dominant yeah. big man, whether it's Porzingis, obviously uh, the Willie Colley Stein, the Boban, the stuff like that. And it's just, none of it seemed to stick. And I don't know why they're struggling so much, but yeah, like if you're, the Mavericks, you have a player like Luca, you need a big man for him to play around. And it feels like they've struggled either too defensively or too offensively. Yeah. Well, and then the problem too, is that the guys that they've kind of counted on to be defensively aren't very good defensive players. So like you got guys like Powell, you know, Powell and Cauley Stein are basically the same guy for me. They're both kind of skinnier big men who kind of get muscled by the, by the wrong guy. And they can get beat up down there. And they're not awesome rebounders, too. So, I mean, the best move, honestly, is to find a way to package, like, Powell. And you can even throw in, you know, you can even throw in, like, a prospect like Josh Green. Like, even though they might like Josh Green, if they want this team to be pretty good, they probably have to move him just because he's not ready to contribute right now. So like the the one I was looking at the other day was like if they if they package Powell and Josh Green to get like a Yaka Pertle from San Antonio, 
I actually think that's a that's a pretty good move because Pirtle's a good center. He's a great rebounder. He makes a lot of things happen. I think he could be a pretty good piece on this team just to kind of fix that lineup spot because, like, they got Powell now even trying to shoot threes, and he's I haven't seen him hit one this season, and it's just kind of been in a mess with that. Like, if they could package those guys and get, like, a Pirtle and then – you know, Goran Drogic basically isn't playing for Toronto this season. If Drogic gets bought out too, then all of a sudden it's like you can get a guy like Pirtle, you can get a guy like Drogic, and then it'd be basically be like, okay, this is our lineup, let's go. And I think that's that's a better team than it is right now, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, but it is interesting to note that, like, I feel like the West as a whole has not performed up to the level. Like, you could argue me the three best teams I've seen this year are all in the East, in Milwaukee, uh philadelphia and chicago and then brooklyn but i think i know brooklyn will figure it out a little bit better but if you're talking about like who i think right now are my best teams right now it'd be those three i mean i definitely think golden states looked like the best team this season um the questions are you know this team isn't really that different right now from last year other than jordan Poole has taken this leap into like a legitimate guy like he he's a 20 point per game scorer um, so, I mean, with pool in the, in the mix and you have Steph obviously doing Steph things and he's playing at an MVP level, you know, that's a pretty dangerous team. Plus, you know, we'll see what happens. Like if they can get like 75% of play back with that team, I still think it's pretty good. And they still have the opportunity with like Kuminga's contract, Moody's contract, that if they really want to go for it, they could try and package those guys. If someone becomes available, I just don't know if anyone's going to be available right now. So, uh, they got some options there. They've been really good. And then, yeah, the East has been really good. Philly's played really well. I think Chicago's played really well, although I think some of it's due for regression. And then, you know, even the even the secondary teams, uh, Brooklyn's played well, obviously, but even the secondary teams in the East, when you're looking at Miami's played really well, they, they might have been one of the most impressive teams this season up until the, you know, the whole Nuggets thing. Um, Though, you know, the Wizards have played lights out basketball with that Lakers core and Bradley Beal. Uh, Brooklyn's played really well, like you were saying. And then Cleveland's even played really well at seven and four because they got this, they got this twin towers lineup. That's amazing. And Evan Mobley has been by far the most impressive rookie this season, just with the way he's played offensively, the way he gets it defensively. I mean, he's playing lights out basketball right now next to Jared Allen, who's playing lights out basketball. They got a really good combination. Yeah. It is funny to me. A, I feel like Washington is benefiting from the like the Westbrook trade in that you trade him for him you you you, you tend to suffer but then once you trade him you get so much better and yeah. like again it's way too early to decide that they won the trade by far but like it seems that what they wanted to do from the trade at the very least they've accomplished in that they've gotten deeper they've supported Bradley Beal with good shooters and good supporting cast and it seems clearly like Kuzma he may not be the great player we thought he was going to be his freshman year or uh, his rookie year, but he's definitely still a really good player. Same with Harold, same with a couple of those other guys. Yeah. I mean, they're playing good basketball, so um, you got to give them credit for that. Um, the East has been interesting. And then the West has been kind of weird. Cause like I said, you got golden state, but obviously the next best team is Utah, which, you know, it, it remains to be seen if Utah's just going to be that great regular season team forever or if one of these days they get through and make the finals. I'm not really convinced it's going to happen, but we'll see. Phoenix is turning it around this season. John Morant's made a real leap into, like, all-NBA guard consideration. Probably not first team, but, it, with, you know, with Dame regressing, James Harden regressing, there's a real chance he gets second or third team all-NBA this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Absolutely. Um, let's jump over to college football for a second. Uh, you know, it, it's the funny thing about this year in that like last week we talked about the week was kind of boring in terms of there was only one ranked matchup, one ranked versus ranked matchup. And yet like upset city still happens. Like teams just dropping by flies. And it's not like, Oh, the 18th team lost in the kind like Kentucky lost to Tennessee. It's like the number three and number nine teams in the country had their first loss of the year last week. Like yeah. just insanity. Yeah. Um, it continues to, you know, kind of run its course for a lot of these teams. I mean, 
uh, I continue to say this year, week after week, and I still think it's true that it's just that, you know, teams, it seems like teams five or teams, you know, 30 through 80 have definitely caught up to teams five through 30 this year, you know, if that may, or five no. through 29. Yeah. I think the gaps close between those. I still think there's four really good teams that I'd probably pick to make the playoff, but I think the gaps close between everybody else. And that's why we're seeing all this craziness. I think a great example is this uh, A&M team, for example, uh, you know, they in, in granted, I think part of that comes with the caveat of a, a young quarterback hadn't had to be thrown into the lineup after the injury from Haynes King, but like, Arkansas and Mississippi State games were struggles. They looked pretty mediocre. I remember, and now granted, this may have just been in the moment, but my dad and I were thinking about if AM was potentially the worst team in the SEC West. And then they go out, they beat Alabama, they obviously dominate South Carolina and Missouri, and then beat up on an Auburn team that's pretty good and beat them 20 to 3. Like, you could argue they're the third best team in the SEC right now when two weeks ago they may have been one of the worst. Yeah. I mean, even like even Mississippi State too. Yes. Mississippi State has like if you rank teams wins right now, Mississippi State might have two of the best 20 wins all season. But they also have losses to Memphis, LSU, and Arkansas on their schedule. So uh, it, it's a crazy season. It's really crazy to see all this kind of play out. And, um, you know. I think it. I think we're still going to see some upsets. There's still stuff on the table that I think is a possibility. Now that being said, um, I do think that you can essentially lock up three playoff spots uh, right now, um, or, or at least two: Georgia and whoever wins the uh, Big Ten. Obviously, Georgia is not going to lose the last couple of weeks, and I would be very surprised if they lose the Big Ten or the SEC championship. And then, yeah, now we're seeing it with the, I mean, there is a slight possibility that we just see so much craziness in the Big Ten that one team, that no team has one loss. But I would be very shocked if we don't see like Ohio State or maybe Michigan State or Michigan, whatever, gets into the playoffs with one loss in a a Big Ten championship. Yeah, I mean, the path's there for Ohio State. They're obviously now number four in the ranking. So, you know, they're already in in the playoff, but you know, with final games against a red hot Purdue team, that's 19 uh, jumped into 19. Then you got Michigan state and Michigan back to back. I mean, they're, they're going to be the two seed if they win all three of those games and the big 10 championship, right? Like there's really no other way to put it. That's probably where they'll end up as the two seed and jumping Oregon to end the year with those four big wins in a row. Um, So yeah, the, I mean, and then the big com- question comes: those final two spots between an Alabama team that'll probably have two losses, an undefeated Cincinnati team for the most likely, um, Oregon with one or two losses, potentially a big t- uh, Pac-12 championship, and then undefeated Oklahoma with a Big 12 championship. Like those are four or five interesting teams that are fighting for two spots you would have to think with how they're highly ranking Alabama that they would have to be like the favorites, even with the loss. But like, I could see a scenario where if they get destroyed by Georgia, their two losses put some potentially behind those other teams. Some of those other teams, I should say. Well, yeah, it could bump them out too. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Oregon really has, I mean, they have the big hurdle against Utah. Washington State's actually been a pretty good team. They're second in the Pac-12 North right now, even with their coach losing his job, <laughs> you know. Uh, so they have that. And then uh, the Civil War, the Beavs have been pretty good this season. So, I mean, all these there's still so much football left to be played. It's crazy to keep saying that, but it's just like all of these teams have pretty challenging games left on their schedule. <clears throat> I'm not really taking anything for granted any from any of them. I wouldn't be surprised if those end up being the four teams if they all went out. They should all win out, uh, except for obviously Georgia and Alabama in the championship. <clears throat> so we'll see how it all plays out. Oklahoma has two big games, too, two big road games to end the season, too, at Baylor, home to Iowa State, at Oklahoma State. <clears throat> That's a big schedule for them. I think the really interesting scenario for me would be if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, Ohio State looks impressive these last four weeks of the year. Who is two, Georgia or Ohio State? 
You're saying in that scenario, Alabama would be number one. Yeah, obviously, if they beat Georgia, win out, they jump to number one. True. Um, And then it's a potential that Ohio State winning out against four straight ranked teams basically ends up, you know, and looks impressive doing it as the Big Ten champion. With I would assume they're only lost being to four, and Georgia's only lost being to one. (laughs) I would assume that. There, there's two thoughts of process with me. Either they, because it's to Alabama and it's because it's in a neutral site game, they're going to give Georgia the benefit of the doubt and make them two. Because, again, they've been the most dominant team by far this season. Yeah. Um, however, there's the other thought, which is we see it sometimes. We saw it with, uh, I think it was Ohio State, where um, recency bias really matters. And because their loss came more recently, they'll fall to three. I personally think they'll be two, but I think the other scenario is just as likely. I think Georgia would be two, too. I mean, I would put Georgia at two if they lost Alabama in the championship. I mean, at the end of the day, it wouldn't really matter because they, they'd still I would be tempted other. to put them one. I'd be tempted yeah. to put them one still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they'd still play each other in the semifinals, and it's a neutral site, so... Mm-hmm. You know, it just depends on which uniform you get to wear, I guess. Um, Which obviously matters to some degree. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting because, I mean, I do think the I do think the one seed's kind of huge this season. Because, I mean, I know Oregon beat Ohio State, but I would say if it's Oregon or Oklahoma for the four seed or potentially Cincinnati, because we're going to keep pretending that's a possibility. Um you know, if it's Oregon or Oklahoma or Cincinnati for the four seed, I think you kind of want the one seed badly this season because I think that, I mean, the four against one matchup usually isn't close, but I just feel like that's that's a lot better than playing Ohio State or Alabama. Well, what's interesting to me is, in general, is that we've, you know, Cincinnati's six and Notre Dame's nine. You would think that a win over a top 10 team, like they did where I don't believe it was necessarily close, um, I don't think so either, actually. So for them to, and granted, it was in Cincinnati, but to say that this is a team that's undefeated and has a win over a top 10 team, I don't think any other team in the, or Ohio State or Oregon's the only other team in the top 10 with a top 10 win, I think. Uh, you would think that they would be Michigan higher. State. Okay, yeah, so you're correct. Um, that still is like weird to me because it's like, Clearly, we value Ohio State or Notre Dame enough that their one loss, despite playing in some really close games, is going to put them at number nine. But Cincinnati, who's had another like similarly close games, but has beaten Notre Dame, is undefeated, is going to be stuck at six. I mean, they, they've just continued to show and prioritize that it's different. They view it as a different situation because, I mean... Even though, you know, I don't think Alabama's schedule is really difficult all the time. Like, they usually go pretty cake on the non, non-conference non stuff. But, I mean, you look at the schedule at Florida. They won that one barely. They got Southern Miss, so that was an easy win. Then it was Ole Miss, won that. At Texas A&M, lost that. At Mississippi State, won that pretty handily against a good team. Versus Tennessee. Tennessee just beat Kentucky. That's a pretty good team. Beat LSU, big rivalry matchup, but that's another team with a lot of pedigree too. They view that as different, even even though they have the one top 10 win, it's just they view it as a different grind. And honestly, it's kind of true because it is significantly different to play that schedule than play at Indiana, at Notre Dame and win that one, than play Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa. I don't disagree with that. I just think there is something hypocritical about ranking Notre Dame so high, but then having uh, Cincinnati, who's Notre Dame's only loss, be lower than that, or be yeah. not that much higher. It's like, because you look at it, they're very consistent otherwise. Michigan State's so high, or was so high, because Michigan was their own, they beat. Uh, and Michigan's only losses to a top team, so they're still high. Uh, A&M, despite having two losses and having two arguably bad losses, uh, is number 11 in the rankings because they beat Alabama. 
I, I personally think they should have been linked ranked of maybe a little higher after the win over Auburn, but I don't think you can fault them putting them higher before then because of the strong win over Alabama. I just think if I'm a Cincinnati fan, I think the committee is hypocritical. I think, I don't know. I think it's weirdly consistent. Like it seems inconsistent, but I also think it's consistent that they prioritize power five schools because power five schools have a significantly tougher gauntlet. You know, it'd be uh, like, except, except apparently Notre Dame. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing, I mean, but Notre Dame's still top 10, even with the loss, you know, they're still top 10. So it's not like they're getting docked a whole lot. I think you look at that eye test and say, Hey, you know what? That Notre Dame team is not really a top five team. And we all kind of know we can watch that team and say that. They competed with everybody they played. They lost to Cincinnati by 11, but this isn't really a top 10 team. And I think that's fair. I think it's fair to look at the eye test and say that, but Notre Dame does play tough games and that's why they're still in the top 10. But like, I mean, like I've been on this whole season, Nebraska's one in six. They're the second worst team in the big 10 in front of Indiana right now. Right. Mm-hmm. They almost beat Oklahoma. They almost beat Michigan state. They almost beat Michigan. They almost beat Minnesota, who was ranked up until last week. They almost beat Purdue, who was who's ranked now. And they almost beat Ohio State, or they kept Ohio State within single digits. You know, this is a team that if they were in the American Athletic Conference would be 10 and 2 just about every year, if not better. And they'd probably give Cincinnati a run for their money. And this team's three and seven right now. And I think, you know, part of it is late game decision making. But I think this team's also had some terrible luck this season, and that's a really tough win. And it might be Ohio State's sixth toughest conference game of the year. True. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I mean. I guess we should also say uh, before we get into some of my uh, awards, uh, congratulations to Scott Frost for proving us wrong and keeping his job. Um, again, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head in there. You know, they're a team that has struggled, but it's clearly. Like or like has played well despite losing games. Like yeah, they're clearly competitive. It's it's kind of the alternative to the team that struggle wins every week, where it's like yeah they're ten and two, but they like seven of those games were within three points. It's like they they have a lot of losses, but that's not for trying and that's not for yeah being competitive. If this was a uh, if this was a community episode, this is the darkest timeline. Like I definitely think there's a scenario where this team is nine and one right now with the way they've played. They're in every one of these games. I just went through it. They lost to they lost to um, Michigan by three and a you know crazy ending. They lost to Michigan State by three on a crazy ending. They had the ball with a chance to tie Oklahoma up until that one handed pick. They lost to Illinois by eight in the game. They had two hundred more total yards. And they had that stupid punt return thing that cost them a win, basically. They lost by eight in that one. They lost by seven to Minnesota. They lost by five to Purdue. And they lost by nine to Ohio State. I definitely think there's a scenario where this team's at least eight and two. So let's go through some of my uh, college football awards, which are not – they're not going to be the ones you see on, like, college game day or something like that. These are creative awards that I think we need to award every year. So – uh, he, award for biggest, uh, I call it the fool's gold award. It's the award for the team that's highly ranked that shouldn't be, or the team that fooled us to start the year. Okay. I, uh, let me go through because I have a couple of thoughts. Obviously, Notre Dame is high. I think so. Just overranked to start the year. You know, it, it can be one of two things. It can either be someone who fooled us early, played really well to start the year, but then regressed to prove that they were not a good team. Okay. Like they're fool's gold. Or they haven't done that yet, but they're about to, and they're way too highly ranked in the standings. Okay. Well, for me, it's Iowa. <laughs> yeah. that was. I was going to go Iowa or Penn State, but I think at least Penn State's shown some competitive nature. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's in a lot of these games. Um, they just have lost a couple. I mean, the and you could also thing, blame the Clifford injury. Like, I feel like Iowa's had no injuries, but they've still like, yeah, just showed so much promise to begin the year, and then just nothing since. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of you know, th- this is the Indiana conversation from la- from the beginning of the year preseason, in that this is a team that basically excelled at getting turnovers. 
and using that short field position to get points. Uh, without that tur- without those turnovers, this offense is bad. And this was the same is- issues that we had with Indiana before the season that kind of came to fruition this season and why Indiana's struggling. And it's why I, I, you know, it's why everything's catching up to Iowa at this point. Um, you know, they have a combined uh, 31 points in their last three games, including losing to Purdue 24-7 and Wisconsin 27-7. to This team just, it doesn't have it fully. So, yeah, I think it's Iowa. I will also give uh, to a, to Kentucky for how they've played the last two weeks and to Arkansas for how they've played post the A&M game. But in fairness, I think they've kind of redeemed themselves with how they played against Mississippi State. But like, yeah, they've, they've, they, the Arkansas, I remember, was like one of the like underdog favorites to after that A&M game. And since then, they've had a really tough stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. It's that I was always kind of a tough situation. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, the SEC is all about dudes, you know, mm-hmm. that's that there's a reason why Georgia and Alabama are good year after year. It's because they, they have the one and two recruiting classes just about every year, you know, and even though I think Kentucky's played really well and I think Mark Soups is a good coach, you don't have the dudes. And if you don't have the dudes to compete, you're just there. There's a ceiling to the team. And I think they've had a good year. It's just not going to be good enough. Most underrated team right now. Who, 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 uh, I think it's, in my opinion, it's UTSA. Cause I think they should be in the like best. Obviously they're not going to get like playoff implications. I don't think they should get that necessarily, but I think they are now what like UCF was a couple of years ago and what Cincinnati was a couple of years ago. They're, they're a really good team and you've got to commend that staff for rebuilding that program. Yeah. I think they're a really good team too. Um, I think them and San Diego state right ahead of them at 22 are both really good teams. Even though San Diego state did have the loss to Fresno state. Um, Those are both really good teams. I think as far as power five teams go. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Jeff Trailer's done a really good job with UTSA. I hope they continue to climb up the rankings. They're probably not going to get the power five bit of the BCS because Cincinnati is going to get it, but I still think they're going to be pretty good. Um, I'm going to go Pitt. I think Pitt's been really good. I think, you know, seven and two, but, you know, the Western Michigan game, they lost because Kenny Pickett got hurt. And then Miami, they lost by four. And Miami's still a pretty talented team. This is a team that's gone. And they beat up Clemson. They beat up Virginia Tech. They beat up Georgia Tech, who have given a lot of teams issues. This team can really throw the ball, and they got a really good team, I think. Uh, I kind of like them to win the ACC. It's, it's definitely going to be close. I mean, do they face uh, do they face either of the other teams, NC State, or, or have they faced NC State or uh, um, Wake Forest? Wake Forest. Uh, let me look at the schedule. They play North Carolina, Virginia, and Syracuse. So if they can get through that North Carolina and Virginia game, I mean, those are still tough ass. Virginia's four and two. Uh, North Carolina's three and three. If they get through those two games, they're probably playing the winner of those two in the uh, ACC yeah. championship. So, And, of course, North Carolina's coming off of that huge win over uh, Wake Forest. So yeah. they clearly proved that they can do it. Yeah, exactly. So – It'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, NC State and Wake Forest play this weekend, so that's a big one. Yes. Uh, best player not at quarterback. Okay. Do you want to go first? I will go first. Um, I think you can go a lot of directions here. I think there are a bunch of really good running backs in the league that are pretty good. But I think I got to go with, in my opinion, the best player on the best team, and that is Jordan Davis of Georgia. I think yeah. – even though like obviously they're surrounded by great players and like he, he only succeeds because every opponent has to guard like 15 different players. I think his presence up the middle is unquestionably what allows Georgia's defense to be as deadly as it is. He is a beast. I know he kind of plays in a weird position confirming with the NFL, but I think if I'm a team that needs a defensive player, he's near the top of my list. If not at the top top, he's really good. Yeah, I mean, he's been my guy. I think he's going to be a really good 3-4 nose tackle in the NFL, which is weird because he kind of plays in a 4-3 right now. So Yeah, he kind of plays the uh, the Geno Atkins role, 
Yeah. Which is funny because obviously he went to Georgia. But yeah, no, he, I mean, Jordan Davis, just you see his tape and you're like, even like some players like on Alabama or these really good defenses, like go unhidden. You just watch him every play and you're like, this dude is a beast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's been really good and he's leading the best defense. Um, I think on the offense side of the ball, if you went, if you wanted to go on that side, I think obviously Kenneth Walker's a great pick. He's had a really good year at running back. I also, up until this week, probably would have picked Drake London too, the wide receiver at USC. Um, but he's, I think he's out for the year now is what I saw. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's probably what I pick on the offense side of the ball. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big Davis fan. Player to most likely uh, pull a Joe Burrow, as I say, and succeed at a new place. Oh, um, that is a good question. I mean, I think I guess the. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I guess the obvious one would be what Spencer Rattler. Probably. I mean, (laughs) just both because obviously he's lost his job, but also because he's so highly rated that whoever takes him is probably going to slot him in as their quarterback, if not quarterback right now, quarterback of the future. Well, here's an interesting one. You're going to like this. Mm-hmm. How about Haynes King? It's an interesting question, and I don't disagree with it. Uh, I mean, first of all, I've also heard that Spencer Radler may want to go to a and <laughs> Like, that's one of the, the rumors that <laughs> I've heard is, like, he, because oh, specifically SEC teams, he wants to move from the Big 12 to the SEC. He thinks that he'd have better success in those kinds of leagues. Um, huh, okay. Uh it's a very interesting question. I still am, you know, I still think that it'll be, it'll be an interesting battle if uh, between Calzada uh, King and whoever the the new, the freshman is. It may, I haven't I mean, seen who they got. Yet. We'll have to see. I don't think, I don't think Kane's King will transfer his first, this upcoming year, just cause he, I don't think there's a starting job locked right now in college station, but yeah, I mean, he has the potential to be definitely. Yeah. I mean, he'll probably try and compete for the job unless they tell him something differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I guess the other one too. I mean, there's a couple other guys too that are, you know, big time prospects that are, you know, we'll see what happens um, as they move to a new place. Harrison Bailey at Tennessee, who kind of, you know, just fell out of the rotation. He wasn't really fit for that uh, Josh Heupel offense. He was recruited by the old group. Um. So he's a guy who obviously could go to a new spot and look really good. Uh, who else? You could also look at a guy. I'm going through the list now. Chubba Purdy was another big time prospect leaving Florida State. Uh, he still got four years of eligibility too. Um, That's huge, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he's already said he's not going to Iowa State. He wants to do his own thing rather than follow Brock. Um, so that will be an interesting one, and then. Uh, Someone who's already had a little bit of success at college football level is uh, Miles Brennan, too, uh, in the transfer portal from LSU. So there's definitely some interesting ideas. It just depends on what's going to happen and how this all shakes out. Obviously, the Rattler's going to be the big one because I assume he's going to be transferring by January. Who do you think? Because Miles Brennan is another interesting one in that he's a graduate senior. I think he would be a graduate senior, correct? Uh, according to this, he would have, it doesn't say how many elig- years of eligibility he has left. Okay. What, like he would be kind of your plug and play guy, I guess. Like, like he's obviously you can't, he's, he's here for one year to win you as many games as you can, which I know a lot of teams would love that. <laughs> I mean, he, he seems like a perfect Notre Dame transfer. Honestly, true, true. That's kind of what they've been doing. So that's uh very interesting. Uh, finally, uh, coach who should pack his bags right now or coach who should expect to get fired. Oh, okay. There's some very interesting candidacies. I think Florida, you have to circle right now. Obviously the Grantham firing was a huge step in that direction, but like you look at what Dan Mullen's done compared to some of the other failures in terms of like McElwain and, uh, uh, Will Muschamp, and I think you could definitely put him into that convert. I mean, obviously he had a great year last year, but you look at what he's done his like the surrounding years, and it's been kind of a disaster for Florida. 
I think he gets like if it's bad again next year. I think that's the question. Um, but I think he gets another year still. You I think, think you it, think they'll blame it on Grantham? I think that they'll kind of shake it off because I still think they really like Dan Mullen there. Obviously, the taste is kind of souring, but I don't think it jumps immediately from this is our guy forever to he's on the hot seat now. I think he gets one more year to try and prove himself. Um, so I'm going to hold it off on him for right now, but I, I am circling it for next season. Uh, Justin Fuente is an obvious one to me. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech has been very inconsistent basically his whole tenure. They're under 500 now. If they finish under 500, it's really kind of hard to see him coming back and getting another opportunity. Um, it seems like they're going to roll with Manny Diaz another season. They are five and four. I don't know. Like if they don't end up bowl eligible, like I don't know what the excuses would be to bring them back, but we'll see. Um, they seem like they're always making, not necessarily making up an excuse, but they're always giving Manny Diaz more time, which maybe just is the case. This like similar to what we've seen the last couple of years with like Scott Frost, Nebraska or uh, um, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Like they're just giving him more time because they understand like, well, he's probably the best we can get. Yeah. I don't see a lot of changes in the big 10. Just trying to go through some of the bigger schools right now. Um, um, I mean, obviously the big case, the thing with the big 10 is they or the big 12 is they've already fired two coaches in tech in Texas tech and TCU. Right. Exactly. So that'll be a, that. I mean, that kind of has already sorted itself out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't see any of those other coaches leaving either. I think they've all done pretty well. Um, the big ones, I guess, you know, another one you could circle is Jimmy Lake. He took over for Chris Peterson from the defensive coordinator spot, and he hasn't really succeeded at Washington yet. They're four and five. I still think he gets another year, too. Is this his second or first? Second year. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a big one. And then, uh, I mean, there there's a big rebuild job at Arizona. I don't think they're firing anybody yet. They also, like, are still paying out uh, someone. So I don't think yeah. they're going to. It's just very interesting. Like I, I did not realize how bad Arizona was until I thought of this. I was like, first win since October of 2019. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. They've been bad. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the SEC, I think every coach has basically met or exceeded expectations. I think if you're looking at like a, a Tennessee with the first year coach, I think you're pleased. I think South Carolina with the first year coach, you're pleased. I think, you know, I think Drinkwood still gets another year at Missouri, although this was kind of a disappointing season for them. Vanderbilt, obviously, this is the first year with that coach. Nothing changes there. I think Alabama, A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss have to feel pretty good. I think even Mike Leach has done a good job this season. Sam Pittman's had good moments this season. And then LSU and um, Ed Orgeron have already separated. So that's basically your list. Yeah, we'll we'll wrap this up in a second with uh, college football predictions. But, like – we, we've talked about this in the office in particular with the Fisher connections with LSU. Who do you ultimately think will get the job at LSU? Yes. Oh God. Um, I mean, I definitely think they're going to go big game hunting. It just depends on if any of those big game, big names actually say yes. Like it, it seems very obvious that they're courting Fisher. Um, I don't know if Fisher is going to say yes. I don't believe he's going to say yes, but I also don't really know the situation that well. Um, you know, I think that they'll probably go at someone like a Mark Stoops. I don't know if Mark Stoops would say yes. Um, he kind of seems content with, or not Mark Stoops, Bob Stoops, sorry. Maybe Mark Stoops too, honestly, uh, with the way he's coached. But, you know, I could see them going after both of those guys. I don't know if either of them will say yes. I definitely don't think Bob Stoops will say yes, but Mark might. And then from there, they're going to go after the, you know, there's that same list each year where it's the the James Franklins, the PJ Flex, although I think he signed an extension. Uh, does Jeff Brom's performance at Purdue get him a new job this season? Uh, you know, you go through the list. Does Dave Aranda's performance at Baylor get him an opportunity to take over that LSU job he was just at. So there's a few different guys they can go at. I don't know who I'd pick right now. I really don't. I don't. Maybe Franklin. I mean, back to the SEC. I could see that happening. I'm leaning towards uh, Franklin or Aranda at this point. Because I, I, I do think if Aranda is offered the job, he'll probably accept it. 
Right. But I also think that LSU would be hesitant to hire a coach like Aranda just because, you know, they want to go after the, you said the big names and as good as a coach as I think Aranda is, I don't think he's a big name yet. I think right. there are bigger names to get. Like I'm tempted to say Stoops is a bigger name, but I don't a hundred percent. know. I don't think so. Honestly. I'd say so. Okay. I'd say slightly, but not much. Um, and then, yeah, you talked about Franklin. One interesting candidate, I think, for all of these big jobs is Matt Rule. There has been discussion about whether or not he wants to stay in the NFL or move back to college. Yeah. And um, he would be a very interesting coach at really a lot of places because he's shown that he can be a good coach, whether in the NFL or in college. Would Joe Brady go back to college? Or would, is, would Joe Brady get a head coaching opportunity? That, that's another interesting thought, too. Um, we'll have to see now that the Carolina Panthers have really started to lose their steam. It's really, uh, uh who's no, who knows about the, the, the future of that coaching staff. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if a uh, rule pulls a Saban and decides to go back to college. I still think he gives it another chance. Um, Probably. I think that they learn that, uh, if you're going to go, if you're going to go pay for a quarterback, make sure it's a good one. True. And I mean, and especially if you have to pay not only money, but draft picks. Right. So, um, so let's go into some of our college football predictions before we uh, end off this week. Uh, let's start with the 11 o'clock, the big 11 o'clock game on Fox, Oklahoma at Baylor. If you're Oklahoma, I mean, obviously if you're Oklahoma, you have to win out in order to make the playoff, but especially you need to be dominating these games in order to prove you're better than the Oregon's and Ohio states to some degree, like this is, these are the kinds of games you should be winning by 30. And I don't think they'll be able to do that. I don't think they'll win by 30. I do think they'll win, but at the same time, I, and you're right. They, they kind of have to prove that they're, they're legit. And right now that means going into Baylor and showing, showing them they're a top four team and that Baylor's not at that level. I do think they win this game, but at the same time, I do think Baylor's defense can kind of give them some issues um, I could see Caleb Williams kind of struggling a bit in this game, but I still think Oklahoma has enough has enough dudes to win this one. I do think of their final two like big games, Baylor and Oklahoma State. I personally think that this is going to be the game that gives them the most trouble, just because I think Baylor, from a scheme perspective, is more frustrating to what Oklahoma likes to do, both on offense and on defense. I think. Again, this could be a game where Oklahoma wins by 30, but I think that Baylor is probably going to be a tougher matchup than OK State. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. But, yeah, I still think at the end of the day, Oklahoma's way more talented than everyone in the Big 12. I've been saying this all year. I still think they win this one, but I do think it's going to be closer than people think. Um, as far as prediction, I will go Oklahoma 31 Baylor 17 with a late score. So it's a big game. Like, so they're, they're up 31, 10 and then Baylor scores at the last minute. No, it's like a 24, 17 game. And then oh, Oklahoma okay. gets a late touchdown to make it double digit. I think it'll be closer than that. I think this game is going to be like decided in the final minute. I would not be surprised if this is played like, um, kind of like the Nebraska game a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to go Oklahoma 28, Baylor 24 with like a last minute uh, field goal by Oklahoma to extend the lead and blah, blah, blah. I think that Baylor's going to play really close, maybe even start off really strong, but I think Oklahoma will just do enough to win. I think we didn't talk about freshmen because I think the award would immediately go to Caleb Williams, but clearly he has transformed Oklahoma from a mediocre team into a team that you could argue since he's been playing should be in the playoff conversation. Yeah, I mean he's looked pretty good, so uh, you got to say you got to give him credit for that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, if there is one player who I think will be a big deciding factor in this, it's the the Baylor running back. I love Bohannon. I think he's going to be a really good player, but Smith I think adds something that Baylor could use to really exploit what Oklahoma or deal what Oklahoma defends against well. Yeah, I think they I think they actually cover pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up. Uh. Later in that afternoon, we got the 2.30 game, the, the, the battle of the Big Ten between Purdue and Ohio State. Um, I mean, it, it is amazing to me, and granted, I know why it is, 
that Ohio State is up by 20 points or is favored by 20 points because this feels very similar to what happened a few years ago when Ohio State was up by a ton of points and Purdue just blew them out. Uh, potentially. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I've been on this Ohio State team for a long time this season. I mean, I bet on them preseason to win the national championship. They hadn't quite lived up to that ex- that level. I don't think they've played that well, obviously. Um, but I still think it's a much better team. I still think it's a way more talented team. And Purdue turns the ball over a lot. Their quarterbacks, they got nine interceptions this season among their quarterbacks. Um, I think if they turn the ball over a couple of times, Ohio State's going to, you know, turn it into a track meet and run away with it. Um, yeah, and I think obviously it all comes down to which version of Purdue we get. Because I was seeing something about like Bell has like, like what is it, 400 of a 600 yards between the Iowa and uh, uh, what's the other big game? Or the Michigan State games? Yeah. Like something like that, like it's insane. Like he, he just elevates himself in these big games, and if they can do that against Ohio State, they can – is there a chance for them to win the, the Big Ten West? Uh, Purdue, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're uh, in the loss column tied – let me look this up, make sure I got this right. I think in the loss column, they are tied with Wisconsin for first. Yes, they're tied with Wisconsin. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Iowa are all four and two. So it's all going to come down to these last couple of games. Yeah. That's amazing. And Wisconsin and Minnesota play each other at the end of the season. So that will be one loss for one of those two teams. Yeah. So again, I mean, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to make it close, but I think you could make the argument that the Ohio like first of all if I was a betting man I would definitely bet on Purdue I don't think Purdue is going to be able to I think Purdue is definitely going to keep it closer than the 20 points that Ohio State's getting but I also think that you know I don't think they'll be able to necessarily I'm not saying they will win but I'm saying Purdue will definitely make it a game I think they can I don't know if they will is the problem uh we've seen outside of the outside of the Michigan State and Iowa game I just I don't know I, I this might be the team that I'm like kind of selling on now. You know, I've, I view college football teams a lot like stocks. When teams are low, you start to buy high. And then, you know, despite winning Michigan State and Iowa, I don't think it's a great team. Like, I don't think it's a top 20 team. It might be a fringe top 25, but I don't think it's a top 20 team. So I might start selling Purdue here. Um, I probably wouldn't touch this game just because um, the line's really high. But you are getting the three touchdown hook because you can get 21. So I kind of envision Ohio State winning this one by three touchdowns. Okay. Uh, give me your final prediction. Uh, I mean, I'll just go with that 42 21 Ohio State, three scores. Okay. I'm going to go, I'll go Ohio State 35, Purdue 28. But it's 35. not like it's not necessarily like close like a touchdown. Like like Ohio State's clearly ahead in the fourth quarter. Okay. Yeah. Um do you I mean who's number three right now? Uh Oregon. Oregon. Do you think if Ohio State wins this, they go up to three? Uh no, not yet. I I mean, if they beat Michigan State and Michigan back to back, I think that's when they jump them. Okay. I mean, man, Ohio State has a tough next couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh then we have it's interesting how it's like each big conference has a game this week. Yeah. Uh, the big one in the SEC, obviously, coming off of that huge win over Auburn, AM traveling to Old Miss. I don't know. It feels like this is the kind of game where, with all the momentum and after doing all they can, this is the game AM's going to lay a stinker in. Like, like, obviously, their defense or their offense struggled a little bit against this, this strong Auburn defense. But I don't know. It just feels like this is a game where. Calzada is going to need to throw it a lot. And we've seen where he needs to do that. He struggles a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if Ole Miss can make this attract me, obviously I kind of like them to win just because I don't know if A&M has the, uh, the offensive explosiveness to kind of keep up with that, but we've started to see teams minimize Ole Miss's effectiveness a little bit. You know, they've looked a lot more mortal the last few weeks. I know the numbers look pretty good against Liberty, but they still only ended up with 27. I know 24 of those were in the first half. So we've seen teams start to limit their success a little bit, and I wonder if that starts to take a toll, and maybe A&M has that advantage here. Um, 
you know, it comes down to the coverage, though. How is this coverage going to match up against Ole Miss's passing game? I think they can do all right, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes for uh, uh, on Texas A&M side. And obviously, you could point to the fact that their defensive backs had a really good game against uh, Auburn. Like, right. they didn't have a pass over 15 yards. Uh, Bo Nix was constantly, like, throwing it, like, three yards, and, and then nothing happened. Or And then, obviously, you talk about the pick, but I do think there, there's a big difference between what you're facing with Bo Nix and what you're facing with Matt Corral. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot on those AM defensive backs, and especially on Jalen Jones. And then, you know, those pass rushers, we talk about guys like uh, Jaden Peavy, uh, our boy uh, – uh, why am I blanking on his name now? Uh, but, like, you talk about those – Michael those, Clemens. Michael Clemens, you got the big touchdown against Auburn. You talk about those pass rushers, I think they're going to need to do a good job at pressuring Corral all game. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm going to go favoritism here. I don't think AM is going to win – 27-21. Yeah, so I think basically the over-under for this game is 55 and a half. Um, so that's eight touchdowns basically combined. Mm-hmm. I think if it hits over, Ole Miss wins, and I think if it hits under, A&M wins basically. I think that's um, a good assessment because it's it, whether it hits over and under will be a determining factor of whether the old miss or whether the AM defense is actually affecting old misses offense. Right. Like, I think if it doesn't like if old misses off like I think if AM gets into a similar situation to the uh, old miss Auburn game, I think they're going to lose. Yeah. But I think if they can play like they did, and that's not necessarily that they can't win the track meet. I just don't think they're suited to face against an old miss team like this. Cause obviously they won the track meet against Alabama. Right. But they also kind of jumped Alabama early and then kind of it was like weathering the storm almost, I Mm -hmm. thought. Um, I'm going to go with I'll go A&M 24-21. I think that Ole Miss kind of gets to them early. The A&M defense settles and they kind of grind this one out. I think they win this one 24-21. The big thing is, and it's 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 something I saw in the in the Auburn game in person receivers need to be able to catch the ball. Weidermeyer dropped like three wide open passes. That was like really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Finally, we got the big one in the ACC. We kind of previewed this earlier. NC State at Wake Forest. I think NC State. Do you think so? (laughs) What were you going to say? I was going to say, I think the winner of this game wins the, what if it's the Central or the Coastal? Uh, I think it's the Atlantic is what they're in. Yeah, but I think whoever wins this wins that wins their division and goes to the ACC championship, I think. I, I'd say that's a safe assumption. I mean, NC State would still have to play Syracuse in North Carolina, so there's no guarantees. It's a pretty safe assumption, though. Okay. Um, so I think if you're talking about this game, the big question is which Wake Forest team are we going to get? And I, I read something this week about how unsustainable their last couple of wins have been, and I think, yeah, you may see this Wake Forest team just be doomed for regression right now. Like, I would not be surprised if, you know, they finished the season nine and three. I think so, too. I think NC State's uh, defensive line is really good. I think they're going to kind of beat them up. Um, And I think they're going to kind of win that way. So I think it's been a nice Wake Forest story, but they definitely just don't have the guys for this. And I think NC State has legitimate players on their team. And I just don't see Wake Forest having that. I think NC State wins this. Uh, so the line right now is one and a half. I'm trying to find the over and under. Are you on ESPN? Yeah, it's it's weird for me right now. Uh, let's see. I got 66 and a half. <laughs> Man. I mean, under. that's I, I mean, fair. You think it's going to be under? Yeah, I think so. I, NC State doesn't win that way. They haven't really played that way all season. Um, they hit 34 on Louisiana Tech, but that's really been it. Yeah, I, I guess I'll go. I'll go over, but I think that NC State will like have enough big plays that they'll win this game. Still, um, I'll go NC State 35, uh, Wake Forest 31. 35-31. I'll go 33-30 NC State. I think uh, Wake Forest still moves the ball pretty well, but not as well as they typically do. I don't think they're going to hit 508 total yards, and I think NC State wins it. 
508 total yards is a lot. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back next week to talk. Obviously, this week in the NFL was crazy. Briefly discuss some of our craziest moments. Uh, the Cowboys, after that huge win against Minnesota, uh, lose to get destroyed by Denver. The NFL was drunk last week. I mean, <laughs> just going through the list, I mean, every team kind of had a weird moment. So, yes. Uh, you know, the thing is, is like, I'm not worried about the Cowboys. They still got a huge lead in their division. I think they're going to win that division pretty easily. Um, but, you know, we've continued to say this. And I, you know, I think you kind of just, you know, it's almost like, when your teacher in class takes off your worst grade and your best grade and kind of says that even seems out and that's kind of who you are. I think that's kind of what I'm chalking this up as I'm taking out, you know, Buffalo, Buffalo losing to Jacksonville. I'm chalking it off. I'm saying weird week. It's okay. The better um, Josh Allen won. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, Dallas losing to Denver. Weird week. I'm chalking. I'm, I'm crossing it off. Uh, Tennessee losing to the jets. Now granted they didn't have AJ Brown or, um, Julio Jones, but crossing it off. Or even just like this week, the Titans killing the Rams. Yep. Rams crossing it off. I think they're going to be fine. Um, You know, I just, the Green Bay Packers getting destroyed by the Saints week one, crossing it off. I think they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of these teams, I'm willing to say, hey, you know what? You're just kind of due for a bad week, it seems like. And especially with this longer schedule um, and all the craziness that's going on with COVID, life, all that kind of stuff. I'm willing to just kind of say, hey, teams have weird weeks, and I think this was just another weird week for Dallas. I will say the one thing I would be concerned about of the games we saw this week was how Jordan Love looked against the Chiefs. Because, you know, we talked about this uh, Jordan Love, obviously still a project, but, like, this Chiefs defense hasn't been spectacular all year, and the Packers still had most of their weapons, so to play like he did for most of that game I'm a little concerned about the Packers' future. It's just too tough a situation. I mean, I guess, he hasn't yeah. practiced. Like, he probably has taken zero first-team reps since training camp, you know. Uh, so, I just think between the lack of first-team reps working with those guys, I think, you know, spot start. Like, I think with the whole offseason and development and all that kind of stuff, he'll be fine. Um so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. That was a tough situation, no matter what defense you're playing. And while the Chiefs defense isn't good, Steve Spagnuolo is a guy who kind of, he messes with quarterbacks with the way he designs blitzes. So I think overall, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. I think the one team I'm a little concerned about right now that we thought might be pretty good with back, you know, I'm willing to say, hey, one bad loss will cross it off. I'm a little concerned about Cincinnati. Um, yeah, you know, I think the it's Jets, the Jets little... game was bad. And then, sorry, I'll just get through this quick. Uh, the Jets game was bad. And then the Browns kind of jumped him. I mean, Nick Chubb had 10 yards of carry, 10 mm-hmm. yards of carry. Like, how does that happen? Uh, sorry for interrupting. I was just going to say, yeah. uh, I feel like it's kind of what we talked about with Wake Forest in that maybe they're just doomed to regression after how they've played the last, some of their weeks, like the Pittsburgh week. I guess the bigger surprise for me, like in some of this, is how good Pittsburgh's looked the last couple of weeks. Like, and now granted, I still don't think they're a great team, and I still would doubt them making the playoffs. But you look at how they played against the Browns and then how they played against Monday night against the Bears, they definitely look better, even better, not only just better than how they looked the first couple of weeks, they looked better than how I thought they would be this season. Yeah. Um, they've definitely turned it around the last couple of weeks. I mean, granted, I still don't think it was great at times against the bears, but at the same time, I guess you could just look at it and say, Hey, it's good enough and good enough might make the playoffs. I mean, it's really tough. I still think that they might be the third West best team in the AFC North, but they're still winning games right now. Yeah. Friar moves a real guy. Deontay Johnson's a real number one receiving option. I think, I think they got some pieces. I think that, you know, if they improve the offensive line and find a quarterback, that would be useful in this century still, you know, yeah, they're pretty, I'll, I think they, they have a huge season next year. Basically. I'm going to say this good enough with how deep the NFC or the AFC has been may get you in the playoffs. If you win the right game. Yeah. Which I mean, despite may, what was that? I was going to say, which may be with how they played against the Browns. Maybe that's the deciding factor. Well, so the crazy thing is, is that, you know, despite, 
all, you know, despite kind of turning it around this season, they are the only, they have the worst point differential of all AFC teams over 500. And actually, let me go through the list. They have the worst point differential of all teams over 500. They have a minus eight point differential. Chargers have a minus two and the Chiefs have a minus six. So like, I think they've turned things around, but like, Am I still betting on this team to like make a run? No, I still think Baltimore and Cleveland are head and shoulders above them. But, you know, any given week, you know, with Deontay Johnson getting big plays, Najee Harris due for big games, and the defense playing well, I think that they could beat anybody on any, any given week. Um, finally, uh, before we go, uh, so it looks like we have two, like, definitively two worst teams in the NFL right now in the Texans and the Lions. Are either of these teams with we've talked about the quarterbacks uh, positioning in the NFL draft? Are either of these teams you think going to draft a quarterback if they finish near the top of the NFL, or is there a quarterback in the top that's worth it for them? Um, I don't know if there's one that's worth it. It's hard to tell, and I haven't really done like full evaluations of a lot of the guys to like make a full judgment. I know uh, Malik Willis wasn't very good against um, Ole Miss. But I imagine at least one of them is taking a quarterback, if not both, just because that's kind of how football works is that you start with the quarterback and figure things out. That's just kind of been the general, this is how we do things for a long time. And I know Detroit now has two number one picks, so there's a potential – or two first-round picks, so there's a potential that they can get a guy and then figure out other things. I mean, I think both of these teams need like 15 to 16 starters at least. So – you can try and build that however you want, but I imagine one of them does take a quarterback, whether it's a Malik Willis, whether they go for a guy like Kenny Pickett, even though he's old, uh, whether they go for a guy like – I'm trying to think of – I mean, I was going to say, the, the gold thing didn't stop Brandon Wheaton, so I can't imagine it stopping. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, I mean, Pickett's been pretty good. Uh, he's had a really good year. Um, who are the other guys you can look at? There's um, Carson Strong, Nevada, had a good year. So, I mean, there's guys on the list you can go through and say, I think there's guys there. I think at least one of them's talking themselves into somebody. Like I said, I haven't done enough of an evaluation to like give a firm judgment on any of these guys though. True. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. We'll be back next week uh, to discuss college basketball. I know that came back last night, but I think it's a little too early to discuss some of the teams that are going to be good this year, even though I'm sure we know some of the good teams. Uh, but we'll be back next year to talk then some more uh, football in the NBA. As always, my name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Ronan. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks and gig them. Peace.